Greetings from Miami for this one. A stop overnight in Miami before the short flight to the Bahamas with women's basketball. We'll have basketball in a couple of days from here. We'll give you a little heads up as to what's coming up there. And we'll also recap the singing competition, which I was able to witness for the first time. I guess if you're a newcomer to the team and you hit Alligator Alley, it's time for open mic night. (laughs) That was pretty funny. Uh, We'll also have some stuff that we didn't have time for yesterday, if you missed it, involving the new world, the new normal in basketball when it comes to formulating rosters. Brian Gregory and assistant coach Larry Dixon, a little insight as to how this Bulls roster came to be. Of course, the men's basketball team will be our next play-by-play event on USF Bulls Unlimited Friday night from Amelie Arena. If you missed it, if you are a student, they are offering free tickets and a free bus ride over to Amelie Arena. So the whole thing about it being off-campus, quote-unquote, no excuse. Free tickets, free bus rides for all students. Buses will leave at 6 o'clock. Game starts at 7. Our pregame begins at 6.30 on USF Bulls Unlimited. I'll tell you what, our crew for that men's basketball broadcast, they're putting in a weekend now, Jim Lighthall and Joey Johnston. Joey, part of the football broadcast, being on the sidelines, is going to have to get up first thing on Saturday. Our pregame on Saturday is going to be quite different. I won't be a part of it, at least live. Now, I've already interviewed Charlie Weiss and Glenn Spencer. You'll hear those conversations. But... Jim Lighthall is going to be by himself with Jay Retcher having other obligations. And it is going to be Joey Johnston coming in at the last moment. So you're going to hear a little bit more of Jim Lauk and Sam Barrington in our pregame show. And, of course, that begins two hours before the noon kickoff. And then the following week, Black Friday, I'll still be with women's basketball in the Bahamas. But everybody else will be there and in a timely fashion for the War on I-4. Speaking of the War on I-4, there was one in volleyball last night in UCF. 18 straight wins over the Bulls. They have it going, the Knights, and we'll recap that for you here shortly. So basketball in our second segment, a little tennis that I want to put a bow on. Baseball is another sport, speaking of, that I was hoping to get to some action this fall, but it's just been so busy with my other duties. But they actually did wrap up their fall. They had the Green and Gold World Series. And also yesterday, for the first time, I was not able to be physically there for the photo shoot, but some good photos put out. Baseball, softball, and track and field all had their media days, as it were, but really it was their photo shoot day. And though I wasn't able to get all the interviews that I've been able to get in the past couple years with any sport, like basketball and football and, well, soccer, everybody, volleyball, uh, I will get around, obviously, to interviewing members of all of those teams as we get closer to those seasons, which will start in 2022. In fact, pretty soon we're just going to be looking at basketball for a little bit here with golf and tennis also wrapped up. Speaking of tennis, want to put a bow on that women's tennis UNF Invitational. That was a good event for them to finish up the fall. But let's start off with the sound from yesterday with both of the coordinators. Had taken a couple of weeks off from doing the Zoom call, but now they were back, Glenn Spencer and Charlie Weiss. Their comments specifically pertaining to Tulane will hold off until tomorrow's show. But as far as the Bulls in general, let's start off with what Glenn Spencer wants to see in these last two games. Well, we got to be consistent in, uh, in just some fundamentals of stopping the run game better. Cincinnati had a great, great tight ends and a quarterback that can run. And, you know, Christian hasn't played that much ball yet, so he's, he's getting healthy now. And just a couple of things with the eyes as far as you know, his man cracks, he's got to replace. We've got to, got to defend the sideline better. Uh, Cromartie, you know, we can't let the ball outside a couple of times. So, you know, it's it's a, it's here and there. You know, it's a spot here and there. I had a lot of good plays. The explosive play at the end, you know, that's that puts sour taste 
for everybody. Besides that, you know, we had held them to 100, under 150 yards rushing. So that that wouldn't really, uh, you know, got under me a little bit. It was four minutes and we'd go run the ball and then, you know, a couple of guys missed tackles there. So uh, we got to realize, you know, play, play 80 is the same as play four, play one. You got to have the same intensity and juice and pursuit angles that you do every, every down. So I'm looking for some consistency. Got to do better against the run game and uh, we've done better preventing the big play. Uh, that's, you know, that's by design. Just, just trying to, to scheme, call a game that gives us the best chance to win is what I'm doing with those guys that are out on the field. Part of the scheme last week against Cincinnati was going with more four-man fronts, and they did get more pressure in general on Desmond Ritter. He didn't have all day to throw, and he had to bust out, of course. He's very capable of running the ball and did so with success. But essentially, Glenn Spencer explains that when they go four-man, it's a linebacker as that fourth man, and they went that way more against the Bearcats. We're basically substituting a, a backer for a defensive lineman. Um, you know, it's just kind of what, what you feel every week is going to go in to stop what they do the best uh, personnel-wise. You know, we were able to do a couple different things two weeks ago. And then, uh, so I think we, the advantage is you're giving enough looks of both that you know, Tulane is, is trying to you know, have to practice both. A lot of it's just kind of the success rate, right? What you're going with at the time, how it is against schematically what they do. And then like Houston, we went to a three down and there in the third quarter and got off the field four series in a row, uh, just cause we changed up some personnel and, you know, it was a surprise to them maybe. Uh, so you have both of them in your hip pocket down a distance uh, plays into it a little bit also. And uh, you know, kind of what their tendency is to try to do uh, what, what type of run game they have versus each front and, a big part of this this year has been injury wise, you know, about the eleven that you have to work with, the best eleven. What what do you need to do to give you the best chance to win? And between both those schemes, that that could change weekly based on you know who's available and in both packages, there really aren't any, any you know substitutions that can roll in there with either one of them. So there's a lot of lot of factors that are, that kind of go into that decision. A lot of the defensive coordinators' decisions are based around injuries. Unfortunately, this year many in the secondary, you know glad that the linebackers have been healthy because they've been such a big part of the team but in the case of Matt Hill who's missed games with concussions and other reasons you throw in Isaiah Cromarty who is a senior but a guy that really has flourished as a special teams specialist but has seen more time in the backfield ended up getting three tackles against Houston and then eight tackles against Cincinnati remember the goal line stand well you always remember the last play of it, but how about the second down play? And you can even hear the Bearcats crowd react here. They thought that it was a typical Desmond Ritter touchdown, but he made one of his, again, eight tackles, six solo here. A little bit of a different agenda than some teams are on. They've got to put up points. Margin of victory could be very crucial to them in the upcoming weeks. Here's Ritter keeping left side, and he will get to the one. Bulls trying to keep him out of the end zone, and they do. He'll be stopped inside the one. Cromarty on the tackle. It'll be third down and goal. Yeah, I mean, that's a just goes to show you, that's a walk-on kid that uh, kind of been in the program for a while and got his first college start and played played 80-some 80, 80 snaps you know, the entire game. It's another kid that can, can go in there and do his best got a couple things on him, picked on a little bit, but um, he stood his own. He's glad he's here. I'm glad he was here to be able to, to help us out and knows his assignments. There's no mental bust with him. 
it's just got to be so just technique, very, very sound to be able to more of glenn spencer on our pregame show tune in at around 10 15 for my chat with him and i throw in my every other week Derek sharp maybe perhaps dumb question but it actually resulted in a pretty funny response if you didn't know tulane has been wildly successful on onside kicks this year has kept them in a couple of games including the one against oklahoma and the bulls haven't had to go back to receive an onside kick as it were this year so we don't know who their hands team is and well, and I asked him about any defensive players on the hands team. His response was great. Charlie Weiss speaking with reporters via Zoom as well, speaking about what changed at halftime because the Bulls went from really just having one offensive drive with any yards. Their only touchdown was on a two-yard quote-unquote drive, which I thought should never have had to take in place because I thought Christian Williams' foot actually didn't step on the sideline, but neither here nor there it changed in the second half. Yeah, I think early in the game, uh, we had come out and had the plan that we, we wanted to run the football um, and obviously had some RPOs attached to some of those things and uh, just didn't do a great job of executing overall and could have been in some better could have been in some better spots. Uh, and so they, they really made a, a huge they, they made a big emphasis clearly to stop the run uh, going to our game and did a really good job taking that away. And then we just weren't able uh, to hit some of those throws in the first half to get them to loosen up the box a little bit. Uh, and, and change things up. And so uh, in the second half, a bigger adjustment was just for us on some of our RPO game uh, to be more emphasis on getting it thrown, uh, making those thrown catches, which you saw on the, uh, the Jimmy for a touchdown. Uh, and then really just uh, Timmy did such a good job on some of our third down stuff of hitting those digs to the field. Uh, that was something that we saw that we could get to. Uh, and then just obviously making plays happen with his legs as well. Oh, speaking of legs, the touchdown play to Jimmy Horn, the 80-yard touchdown pass, which was actually just a about a six or seven-yard pass, and Horn did the rest. First of all, the play extended call, and then the offensive coordinator on what made it finally hit. And I kind of joke about it not being much of a pass. Actually, there was an important technique to it, as you'll hear here shortly. Quick pass over the middle. It's caught. It's Jimmy Horn into the open field. Breaks a tackle, 45-50. He's outrunning everybody. Nobody's going to catch him. Jimmy Horn, 80 yards. Touchdown, USF. No flags. And that's the play every USF fan has been waiting to see from Jimmy Horn this year. There are not a lot of players in the country who you can throw a slant to and that guy can take that play 80 yards. But Jimmy Horn is just one of those guys, and we've all known it for so long, but he just hasn't had the opportunity to. He's a special player, a bright guy, and he that's the reason he's starting as a freshman on this offense with so many good receivers. Great job by Timmy McClain finding his high school teammate. His first touchdown. Yeah, that was huge. I mean, it's been so many times this year where we felt like he's been so close to being able to show that off on a on a slant route or over route or whatever it may be. And uh, it was just great to finally see Timmy put the ball right on his front shoulder so he can catch that thing uh, in stride and hit it. And it was just a perfect timing, great throw, great catch. And then, uh, you know, obviously everybody got to see what he can do after, after that. So look forward to seeing more of that uh, in the future. Uh, but it was just great for us. It's huge for our offense too, uh, just to get, you know, teams where, Hey, you might have to play off on that guy, give you some easy throws and that they want to come up and play tight to him. He's able to run away from him and go score. And then one more from Charlie Weiss on the entire wide receiver group. Frankly, it has gone from being one where 
you would hope for a few plays here and there over the last couple of years to a vast improvement on that improvement specifically here's the offensive coordinator yeah a tremendous amount um so you know i think that's a huge credit to to coach scott and coach bentley uh who get to develop those guys and work with those guys every day obviously you know coach scott being being from clemson's reputation as a receiver guy you can clearly see uh the development in them and then coach bentley coming along here i think he's really brought uh, Xavier Weaver along. I think he's brought Jimmy along and they've just gotten much, much better. Uh, and even some of those, those other guys too, you see DeMarcus and OD making plays, uh, you know, Sean Atkins. So I think they've done a great job developing those guys and uh, giving the quarterbacks more confidence to, to go to them uh, each and every week. And I think those guys will continue to improve. And uh, those guys got a lot of time uh, remaining eligibility wise. So uh, we're really fired up about them. Good to hear Coach B. Bobby Bentley get a little extra credit there as he certainly has earned it. If you like the extended highlights, get ready for upon further review to hit the air on Thursday on USF Bulls Unlimited and on Bulls Unlimited too as we kind of give you opportunities to catch different events on both of our channels. We've been replaying, of course, a lot of the basketball from earlier in the week with Thursday. We'll have a full 2007-2007 football marathon as we actually have had a lot of live events on Thursdays for the last month or so. So this is the first time we go to our traditional Thursday programming, which is several games from that season, Auburn, North Carolina in the afternoon. That North Carolina game people forget about was actually the Bulls first as a ranked team, and it was pretty entertaining. And then, of course, West Virginia at night. But with that, we're also replaying the football radio show with Coach Scott the Brian Gregory Show. You're going to hear some good clips of it here in our second segment, and also upon further review, where Jim Lauk and I give some of our comments, not that you necessarily care to hear them, but I think they're okay, along with extended highlights of the previous week's football game. So keep an eye on our Twitter page, at Bulls Unlimited, for the full air times on everything. We won't have any more volleyball for you. Went off with a win against Memphis over the weekend. The Bulls now with just three matches left in their season. Last night were over at a tough place to play at the venue against a very tough team. UCF has won 12 matches in a row overall. Goes to 23-6 and on the season. 16-1 and in the conference. Bulls are just the reverse. 1-16. and And unfortunately, it really wasn't that close. 25-15, 25-16, 25-16. But the Knights... Turning in those kind of performances on a regular basis now. They've won four straight matches in sweep fashion. Last night, the Bulls made a rally early to mid-set, but then fell off. In fact, in the first set, they were down 6-2, got to within 7-6, and before you knew it, they were down 10. Second set, they were down 4 nothing, got to within 9-7, but then again, the Knights rolled, and then they were down 19-7 in the third set before making it respectable, the final margin. We told you after the win against Memphis that I thought that Reagan Kynard deserved player of the week consideration for her 17 kills with zero errors, and I thought, you're not going to get many Division One players putting up more kills against no errors. Well, then last night, McKenna Melville, the best player in the conference by far, and I've seen every team, 21 kills, zero errors. Amazing to hit 600 on her night. Reagan Kynard, after that career-high 17-kill performance, had seven but six errors. Martis Fitkovich, who did make it on the weekly honor roll for her 23 kills against Memphis, had 13 to lead the Bulls, but again, seven errors. So you had UCF standout player with no errors, and the Bulls had three of their hitters with at least six each. The Bulls are now heading into their final home match of the season, Sunday against Temple. And again, we won't be able to bring that one to you. You can watch it on ESPN+. Plus. 
Also, the team will finish up at Houston and at Tulane. Coming up next, a little basketball, including, yes, women's basketball players singing on the bus on Alligator Alley. Stay tuned.